What's up, LifePoint Church? How you guys doing today? Come on, are you glad you came to church? I want to say welcome to everybody who's here in the room, first-time guests, our online campus, as well as video services, and everyone joining us at Austin P State University. We are back to school at Austin P. everybody. We're excited to have you guys in the room. So pumped for a great fall time with you guys. I want to say welcome. My name is Mike Burnett. My wife, Stephanie, and I are honored to serve as pastors of the church, and our team loves you, and we're so grateful for uh, the opportunity to get to serve alongside of you. And thank you for serving on our dream team. Thanks to all of you who volunteer every week to make this church run. It is just such an honor to get to do this together. As always, I wanna say uh, a couple things. We've got a few announcements here, but thank you for your generosity and your faithfulness in giving. We are a church that believes in and practices tithing, which is the giving of the first 10th portion that we bring to the Lord. It's, it's honestly a matter of obedience to tithe. God gives clear direction about this, and it's that first 10%, that first 10th portion. And, and God says in Malachi, the reason we do that is to provide for the needs of the house, right? So we provide for the church, ministry to your kids, ministry to the parking team, and, and uh, through the parking team or through the greeting team or whatever, ministry to uh, you, but also to, that we can minister to others outside of this house. In fact, corporately as a church, we practice tithing. We give 10% of the income, if not more, away to be a blessing to other ministry partners, church planners, et cetera. After we bring a tithe, then there's what's called the offering. I think in the church world, we've called any kind of financial collection an offering. And I think that's actually uh, not accurate. We bring a tithe and then we give an offering after that. But tithing is about obe obedience, right? And then offering is about like God directing you. Maybe it's a generous tip. Maybe it's something that you give to a neighbor who's in a, a hard time or how you wanna be a blessing through your church uh, in offerings. Twice a year, that's four times, twice a year we ask and pray about an offering. And, and in my opinion, the offering is as the Lord leads. It's spirit-led. It's not a, an obedience like this is a plan for tithing, but offerings can vary. They can change. They, they, God can lead you this year to give this way in an offering and next year to give more. And as part of our 21 days of prayer, which today's day 21, everybody, did you have a good time in prayer for the last three weeks? I hope so. Thank you, nine people who prayed. We appreciate that. You got the whole rest of the church covered. I appreciate that. Uh, as we finish our 21 days of prayer, we partnered with Convoy of Hope for one day to feed the world. The ask is, would you pray about giving one day's wages to feed kids in the developing world? And Convoy, through their partnerships, have figured out how to feed a kid all month long for $10. So you take one day's wage, your annual salary divided by 250 working days, and that's one day's wage. Uh, think of how many months you can feed a kid around the world. And so we've asked you to pray and put that offering before the Lord. This isn't tithing, this is an offering. So this is beyond our tithe. We say, God, do you want me to give one day's wage, two days wage, a week's wages? What do you want from me, Lord God? And then you simply ask the Lord and do what he says. That would be a, a great way to make a difference in our world. And I'll just tell you as a pastor of the church, I believe with all my heart, Stephanie and I agree on this, and I, we just believe with all of our heart that this church, God has asked this church to participate with one day to feed the world. Now I wanna hand that to you, and that's why I've been asking you for three weeks, pray about your participation and then do what God says. But there, there's a number of reasons why we do things like this. First of all, we're not a church trying to build our own kingdom. Everything we have is gonna be gone one day anyway. And man, what an honor it would be to say we completely spent our lives to make the kingdom of heaven better on earth. Can I hear an amen, right? So we're not saving money. We're not trying to build big vaults of cash like Scrooge McDuck. We're trying to do ministry. And we wanna make a difference in this world. But part of the reason we do it, uh, very practically, because kids are hungry all over the earth and we wanna help with that. It's a very tangible thing. And, and James says, true religion is to care for the widow and the orphan, right? So it's part of our real heart towards God. But there's a blessing that comes on you specifically when you do this. This isn't why we do it, but it is a promise on the back end. Let me show you this in Isaiah chapter 58, verse nine and 10. God, uh, God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah specifically about caring for the underprivileged, the poor, the orphan, the hungry. Then, and, and, and you, sh you should read this whole chapter in context, but, but it's as you do these things, look at what Isaiah says, then you shall call and the Lord will answer. How many of you wanna have a confidence that when you pray, God hears you? That when you call out upon the Lord, like four people, are you kidding me? Thank you, Austin P, for participating in this survey. How many of you wanna have a confidence that when you call on the Lord, he hears you, right? Well, here's what he says, as we take care of others, then you shall call and the Lord will answer. Listen, this is where government programs don't get it right. Like government programs wanna uh, mandate that you give all these things. God's kingdom says, no, we get to give to those who don't have. And the blessing of that is that God responds to this. 
So listen, then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry out and he will say, here I am. I don't know about you, but I want that in my life. If you take away the yoke from your midst, like take the burden off your life, the burden of sin, the burden of, of, con, of like condemnation, take that burden off your life and the pointing of fingers on others and speaking wickedness, like, like change your attitude about all these things. And then look at this. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desires of the afflicted, that's what giving one day's wages will do. Notice the promise. Then you'll call and the Lord will answer. Then you'll cry out and he'll say, here I am when you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the, the afflicted. Then look at this. Then shall your light rise in the darkness. How many of you know, as dark as our world may be, there's something about life point that we wanna shine as bright as possible for the kingdom and God's the one that makes our light shine. And your gloom will be like the noonday. Man, there's a blessing when you take care of the least of these. Jesus said, when you've done it to the least of these, it's like you're doing it to me. I don't know about you, but I wanna give a day's wages like I'm giving it to Jesus because he's hungry. Amen, everybody? Well, thank you for your generosity. What a privilege that we get to do this. If you go on our website, however you give, you can select uh, One Day to Feed the World as the particular offering. And uh, man, I would love to, I can't wait in the next couple of weeks, I'll give you a report of how we did and how many kids we're gonna feed and what a blessing. And man, I, I'm excited to hear all of you say, man, my, my gloomy days were bright like noon and and man, I, my light shone in the darkness of my job and family and everyone, God's blessing was on me. Amen? Are y'all nearly as excited about this as me? Clearly, clearly. Well, we've got a couple things uh, going on, but in particular, I'm very excited about today's brand new series. It's a series called The Bible Says. And we're gonna spend six weeks in this series called The Bible Says. And we're asking everyone in our church to pause the curriculum of your small group if you can, or join a small group or host a small group and host conversations and discussions. Like we built an entire campaign, a big team worked on all of this for you. Everything from the sermon bumper to the sermon outlines to the conversations. There's videos that have been curated for you to have discussions. This is a whole series that we put together working through what does the Bible say about all kinds of issues. We're taking six weeks to give some clarity on practical issues, theological issues and cultural, cultural issues. And the big idea is to ask, what's the Bible say about it? Now, uh, as we're getting in there, I want you to know uh, at both of our locations, at Austin P and Rossview, our physical locations, uh, we have these, these big walls in our lobbies that has a place for you to ask questions. What does the Bible say about? And so there's some green post-it notes. For example, what's the Bible say about serving? We'd be glad to answer that question for you. Um, just post it on the wall. And over the next six weeks, we're gonna spend some time kind of doing online campaign, answering your questions. We've already written out the six sermons uh, for the series, but I know that that's not everything you wanna know about what's the Bible say about. So, so we've given you a place to just write that. You can leave it anonymous on the wall. Ask the craziest, the hardest, the most troubling questions. You might be trying to pick a fight. That's totally fine. Ask those questions and we're gonna do some online campaign to answer those. And uh, by the way, one of the things I'm really excited about for all of you young adults, 18 to 30 or so, uh, we're starting this Tuesday night and then moving forward on Tuesdays at seven, a new young adult gathering uh, every week. And we have uh, really put a lot of energy into this. I'm thankful for pastors Jordan and Aaron, our young adult pastors. Uh, whether you're a college student, a young soldier, a working professional, a young parent, young couple with new kids, I mean, it doesn't matter. If you're 18 to 30, we're gonna start gathering every week for prayer, time together, fellowship, community building, and uh, studying into the word together. So we're, we're gonna be meeting at First Christian Church downtown in Clarksville across from First Baptist. It's been an amazing partnership that we're building with them to host these events. So every Tuesday, seven o'clock, you can get more information on our website uh, as well as through uh, contacting our college and young adult pastor. So back to the series, what does the Bible say about? Let me just start by saying, uh, well, I've got, I've got really a lot to say about this, but I've got to be disciplined to stay on time, okay? So everybody know there's way more in here than what's going to come out, um, but I'm going to do my best to get it done and get you out of here on time, amen? So you can go get your kids at a kid point or go serve on a team. All right, let me just start by stating a challenge. I believe that a primary issue, a primary challenge, by the way, everybody take notes on this sermon. I promise you, you're going to need it. A primary challenge in our country a primary issue in our culture and a primary issue in the church. So it's everybody, it's the culture, it's the, it's the church world, it's our nation. Listen, here it is. People don't live by the Bible. 
Now listen, we expect that of people outside of the church, right? Like why in the world would uh, atheists or agnostics or people of other religions live by the Bible? Duh. Okay, we expect that. I've been in pastoral ministry for over 20 years, and I'm here to declare to you and tell you there's a lot of folks in the church who also don't live by the Bible. Now, I'm not a huge social media act, active person. Uh, I'm a special, like I'll, I'll troll it and scroll it and look at stuff sometimes. But I'm never gonna get into arguments or debates or like, you know, you're never gonna catch Pastor Mike 30 messages deep on some controversial issue. But I do watch and I do pay attention, my wife and I both do. And I'm never surprised when people outside of the church have unchristian, unbiblical worldview. I'm very grieved and very troubled when those of us who call the name of Jesus as Lord carry a non-biblical worldview. I believe, listen, this is a stretch of a statement, but just hear me out. I believe like one of the primary issues facing our world and has been for centuries is people don't live by the word of God. Now let me unpack that for you a little bit. Why? Because people don't read the Bible. I mean, if you ask most people, how's your Bible reading going? The number one response I get from Christians is I don't really have enough time for that. I don't, I, man, I don't have time to read the Bible. I'm going 38 miles a minute, you know, and I, I just, I'm going in 17 different directions at a time. Okay, we don't make time for the Bible. We don't read the Bible or all we get is a daily devotional scripture from the YouVersion app, ping on our phone and we think that's a Bible reading plan. I'm gonna say some harsh things, so I love you. Okay, we don't read the Bible, which means, here's the consequence of that, which means we don't remember the Bible. Because you can't remember what you don't read, right? And if we don't read it and don't remember it, then we don't memorize it and apply our lives to it, which means we don't live by it. It's actually an epidemic in the church world. But I just wanna set some things clear for us as a church. At LifePoint Church, we have a high view of the Bible. This is not a social experiment. This is a kingdom of heaven church. This is a, a church that is built by Jesus Christ. It is led by the spirit and led by the scriptures of God. That means we believe the text of scripture. We believe this is true. We believe it's compelling. We believe it's authoritative. We believe it's God's word for us. Now, I don't understand why God chose to reveal himself this way. I, didn't, I wasn't in the heavens when God starts giving this out. I wasn't a part of that decision. So I don't get the option of deconstructing it or devaluing it or tearing it down. I don't, have the, I don't have the luxury of doing that. As a church, we are a Christian church. Listen to me. We believe the Bible. We believe it's God's gift of revelation to the world. We believe and trust that God knew what he was doing when he chose to give us this. We may not understand why he did it initially or how he did it, but we still trust it. It's kind of like your car. You don't know all the belts and timing things and chains and stuff, but you trust it. That was great, wasn't it? That's truly a guy who knows vehicles. <laughs> so I'm gonna say a lot of things. I'm gonna try to explain a lot of truths. Uh, I have multiple theological degrees, so I'm gonna nerd out for a little bit. We're gonna start kind of at a high view of how to understand scripture, and then we're gonna land the plan on what to do with the Bible today, okay? I think it's important that we start the series, okay, this whole series is what's the Bible say about? Well, we need to start the series with what's the Bible say about the Bible? What's the Bible say about the Bible? Now, that's a really risky question because it's kind of audacious to defend a document with itself. Like, have you ever talked to someone from a different religion and they bring their religious book to you and try to prove their religion from their book? It seems a little audacious. I remember in college, I was uh, confronted by a couple Mormon missionaries on, on the strip in front of the University of Tennessee. And, and I just remember saying like, I don't believe that book. I don't believe the Book of Mormon. And they kept quoting the Book of Mormon to me. And then I started realizing, I was like, that's pretty audacious that I would say, well, the Bible says to people that don't believe the Bible. But today I'm talking to Christians, I'm talking to the church who we've said we believe in Jesus and, we be, and Jesus said to affirm the word. So as a church, we should believe the Bible. And by the way, there's reasons why using the Bible to prove the Bible makes sense. And we're gonna talk about that today. So I'll say a lot. I wanna encourage you to take a lot of notes, bring your Bible, nerd out with me today. And I want us to engage these discussions in your small groups. I wanna know as a church, will we decide that we value the Bible? that we want to live for God and love God and people better because we're growing in our love and understanding for him because we're growing in our knowledge of the Bible. Let, let me just ask you some honest questions. Please don't answer out loud. Do you trust the Bible? 
Like truly, do you trust it? Do you um, value the Bible? Do you think God gave us the Bible? Do you believe it? Do you have confidence in the Bible? Listen, will you obey the Bible? I wanna be clear, we don't, the Bible's not God. We don't worship the Bible. We worship Jesus. We follow Jesus. But even Jesus quoted the Bible a lot. Can you trust and obey and have a reverence for the Bible? And do you think the Bible's even relevant for the world we live in today? I mean, that's one of the major attacks against the scripture. That's an ancient text. Nobody lives that way anymore. And to me, I go, that's job security for a preacher of the Bible. You know what I'm saying? Nobody's living according to it. I'm going to keep giving it out. It's impossible to successfully have a Bible says series if we won't first establish that we actually believe the Bible. So do you have a high view of scripture? I'm just gonna tell you where I land as a pastor of this church. And by the way, as a pastor, I gotta stand for something. Last thing I'm gonna do is chase every opinion and idea that our culture's throwing out. My Lord, I'd, my head will be spinning. God's put me here as the pastor of this church. And this is where I am on the Bible. This is where we are as a church because I'm the pastor of this church and because I believe it's biblical and I believe it's true. And this belief frames our church's position about the Bible and our use of the Bible as a church. This is the doctrinal statement. It's our number one, first doctrinal statement as a church. We believe the Bible is the authoritative rule for faith and practice. This is the first doctrinal statement you'll see on our website. If you go look, what do we believe? Number one thing, the first one is about the Bible. Now, some people have pushed back on that and said, well, that's not the most important. It's not the most important doctrine. Let me just be clear. The most important doctrine is Jesus is Lord. He's the only way to be saved. You must be born again. God loves you so much that he gave his son for you. He died, raised from the dead, the whole resurrection. The gospel is the most important. But you won't clearly understand that if you don't have a conviction that the Bible's true and authoritative. So in order to understand all about God, we gotta understand the book God gave us about himself. So in order to know these things well, we first believe that the Bible is the authoritative rule. It's more authoritative than the bylaws of this church. It's more authoritative than the opinions of the Supreme Court. It's more authoritative than the culture. The Bible's the authoritative rule, as in measuring guide, as in standard. Notice the two things. For faith, what we believe, and practice, how we behave. That's why you can't just say, well, I believe this, but I'm gonna do this. No, 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 the Bible clearly directs both sides of this. What we believe about God and about people and about sin, and then how we behave under God as his people related to sin, righteousness, behaviors, et cetera. So before we get into any of the, what's the Bible say about stuff, which is the rest of this series, we have to establish that we believe the Bible's authoritative for how to believe and how to live. Now. We live in a world that doesn't give a rip about what the Bible says. And we've got whole mobs of people that are forcing and trying to cancel and push the church who belongs to Jesus to adapt and, and evolve towards accepting new faith and new practices and new ways to believe and live that are separate from the Bible. And then they'll say, the Bible is now hate speech because you don't agree with the new way of believing and living. Make the accusation all you want, this is where we stand. Now, some of you are gonna wrestle with this statement over this series, and I understand that. I'm okay with that, as long as you're wrestling with us, not against us. Does that make sense? Like, like we're not gonna fight over, we believe the Bible. We have four things that we say we're not fighting over. The Bible's true, Jesus is Lord, you gotta be born again, and you can live a spirit-led life. We can differ on how old the earth is, and what did God mean, and you know, Leviticus 18, we can differ on some of that stuff, but like the Bible's true, Jesus is Lord. The Bible's true is like, we're not gonna argue. This is a Christian church we built on the Bible. Does that make sense everybody? It is authoritative. How many of you have felt the pressure that our world is trying to give some new authority to what to believe and practice? Now listen, so this is why we have to go back to here. And it's not popular. By the way, it's never been popular. When Jesus would quote the scripture at religious people, They'd go, well, that's not how we interpret it. But he's God. I mean, of all people that can interpret the Bible correctly, it's never been popular to land here. Do it anyway. That's our conviction, our commitment as a church. 
Now, let me say this as a pastor. It is never my goal to offend you and, like, hurt your feelings and push you out of here and go, well, this is my way or the highway, by God. No, 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 no. My job is to shepherd you, to lead you into a place of, like, surrender to Christ on these issues. And, and look, in 20 years of ministry, there ain't an issue I've never seen. But one thing consistent about how we lead at LifePoint is we go, well, let's go back to what God's word says. One of the questions I ask people often when they're going through stuff and they're walking in different directions or they're doing things that, that we would say maybe the scripture doesn't affirm, I always ask this question, what do you think God's word says about that? And then we go explore it together as part of pastoring and leading people correctly. Y'all hear me today? So it's the authoritative rule for faith and practice, how we believe and how we behave. And by the way, I'm 42, I've been pastoring for a long time, I've got degrees in theology, and I'm still reading stuff that's changing the way I believe and changing the way I behave. I mean, it's, we're gonna talk about how it's still alive and changing people. Here's a theme verse for today's message, Matthew 4. Jesus is tempted by the devil to, um, he's fasted for 40 days. I actually did a little mini teaching on this. It'll come out this week on social media. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days and the devil tempts him. Hey, if you're really the son of God, turn this bread into stone. Come on, your immediate need is you're hungry. And Jesus' response to the devil when he's tempted is it is written. In other words, the Bible says. <laughs> I love that Jesus is affirming what God's word says. And he's standing on that. Jesus' first thing in, in, the, in the face of temptation, which we've got to be armed with this, is the Bible says, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So here's a couple things we're seeing here. The, the, the word of God is a defense against sin, but also everything that God says, you can survive on it. You can trust it. You can live with it. Are y'all hearing me today? Man, I'm, sh I'm preaching better than y'all shouting right now. No, no, don't do it now. It feels forced. All right. Jesus quoting the Bible from Deuteronomy 8. Now, let's nerd out here for just a second. He's affirming his own view of the Bible. The scripture is the word of God. And he's showing the Bible is the word of God for us to live by. We don't worship the Bible, but we live by the Bible as we worship God. Now, I could talk for a long time. Let's just do some academic work here. What is the Bible? Is it, I mean, it seems like a duh question. But right now, asking what is whatever is kind of troubling in our world. We're not clear on things that need to be clear. So what is the Bible? For many of you, you think immediately to grandma's coffee table Bible or the family Bible, or you think of the, the book that you carry with black or brown leather on it, and, and you think of, of, of the script here. But let's go back to a little bit of the history of the Bible. It's important to recognize a few things as we get into this message. The Bible is not Jesus. There was circulating for a while this weird doctrine uh, based on John 1 where John says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, the word became flesh. That so we just replaced the word word with Bible and we said, Jesus is the Bible. Jesus is not the Bible, Jesus is God. The Bible is not God, the Bible is not Jesus. We don't worship the Bible, but the Bible is the revealed word of God given to us by God in order to point us back to God. I want you to understand, just statistically, the Bible's the most popular, powerful, and precious book in the entire world. Every year, over 100 million Bibles are sold or given away. The YouVersion Bible app, which all of you should have on your smartphone, if you have a flip phone, get you a paper Bible. Um, YouVersion Bible app's the number one downloaded app ever, 200 million times. The Bible is still the best-selling book every week of the year, number one book in the world. It's been fought for, preserved, died over, bled for, shot for, like hustled for it. It's seen by many in the world as the most precious thing they own. In communist China, mere pages of the Bible torn out are sought after and, and traded and held and people literally list, risk their lives every day to share pieces of God's word. But that's just the effect of it. As we know the Bible, it's actually not a book. It's a collection of 66 books, Old and New Testament, written by 40 different authors spanning over 1,500 years. The books we know in the Bible are the results of many councils, many church councils led by the Spirit, conferred with the body of Christ in the early centuries of the New Testament in particular. Now, there were, some people have argued like, what about this book and this book's not in the Bible? What about Enoch? What about the Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Mary? Listen, let's talk about that for just a brief second. There have always been letters and theological writings that have been written and circulated throughout church history. People still write theological letters in books. Hello, Parable Church, available at amazon.com. 
people write Christian literature all the time. That don't make them Bible. Even in the days of the writing of the scripture, there were other letters circulating and other things in church history. But the confirmation of the scripture's canon, the the closing of these 66 selected books, we've come to know them as the Bible. And there is an agreeable set of standards that brought us this collection of of letters and books. According to F.F. Bruce, a New Testament scholar, he says the Old Testament books, this is Genesis through Malachi, right? This is divided into five categories, the, the, the Pentateuch, the history, the wisdom literature, the something and the something else, okay? Uh, minor prophets, major prophets. These were widely accepted as the closed canon by the time we got to the New Testament era, the, the, the life of Jesus. So Jewish scholars, prophets, even Jesus and his apostles specifically recognized that closure of Old Testament canon. Uh, specifically, even whenever you see Jesus or the New Testament writers talk about the scripture said, they're always quoting the Old Testament, what we know of as the Old Testament. So Jesus never said, you know, the Bible says in Galatians, the apostle Paul said, because it went around yet. So whenever Jesus quotes the Bible, the New Testament apostles quote the Bible, they're quoting Genesis to Malachi, the Old Testament, right? Specifically, the New Testament books, that's Matthew through Revelation, also divided gospels, uh, history, epistles, and then apocryphal literature. The New Testament books were seen as acceptable for canon because they were written with, they had a couple uh, different litmus tests. And a lot of people want to know these questions, like why is that in the Bible and why didn't these letters? Well, for one thing, the New Testament, they were letters or, or books written by an apostle or someone closely connected to Jesus, the origination of the gospels and the original church. So apostolic authority. Second, the entire New Testament church leaders agreed with their authenticity and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Like they, it, they just circulated and they were, they were alive documents and they were uh, inspired of the Spirit and they were authentic to the authorship and to the, the, the church culture. And third, that the text would affirm the witness of God's will throughout the whole of scripture and, and that it would be orthodox as we see the will of God and the word of God unfolding. So literally God used leaders in the church, in the early church to help bring some canonizing to the circulation of these documents. But, but here's the thing you gotta understand. Let me just simplify that for you. The letters or books circulating may have had great content, may have been interesting and even had some truth, but they didn't make it into the Bible because they, didn't have, they had to have apostolic authority, obvious Holy Spirit inspiration, and they have to line up with the whole of God's word and will and heart for people. Are y'all hearing that? So there's other books out there and people wanna ask, you know, what about Enoch? Okay, go read Enoch. But it ain't in the Bible for a reason. And I trust that God was a part of that decision in the church. How many of you know God still works in his church? Okay, so now this is a little nerdy. I'm almost done with the nerdy part, nerds. The Bible is divided really into two major sections and then subdivided into eight or nine subsections, and then you've got books with chapters and verses. Chapters and verses came later with editorial uh, in the modern era, really. Like Paul never wrote chapter two, verse one, verse two. That never happened in the original text. We did that so that you can read it easier and quote it on bumper stickers. So the Bible is divided into an Old Testament and a New Testament. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Testament does not equal covenant. Covenant is God's promise with us, God's interaction with us, the way that we interact with God. That's covenant. The Old Testament, if I wrote a story of your life, it's a testament of your life. That's what it is. A testament is a telling of God's people under a covenant. So the Old Testament is what we've just labeled. Like Moses never said, I'm going to write an Old Testament. That's what I'm going to call it. You know, like David was never like, hey, let, let me continue on that Old Testament. We've called it that. The Old Testament is the telling of God's people under an old covenant. The old covenant includes blood sacrifice for sin, includes 613 laws of purity and ritual and all these things, and you'll never please God. And the law is written on tablets. And the Old Testament, the old covenant, includes a lot of restrictions and ways for you to get to God. That old covenant was Genesis through the Gospels until the resurrection of Jesus. The New Testament 
is a telling of God's people under a new covenant, a new set of engagement rules. Does that make sense? So in the new covenant, because Christ has raised from the dead, we no longer sacrifice goats or cats for our sin. We no longer have to follow all these 600 plus rules to please God. We follow Jesus who pleased God for us. And the New Testament is the story of God's people under a new covenant with freedom and victory and life everlasting. So the old covenant, the Old Testament, is the story, I want you to see the Old Testament how it is. It's the story of God's people under old standards. The New Testament is the story of God's people under the establishment and the living under new standards. By the way, the book of Hebrews says, for all of you uh, messianic wannabes, right? Like the, the book of Hebrews says, in establishing a new covenant, God has made the old covenant obsolete. That's great news. You don't have to kill animals anymore when you sin. Jesus died once for all. God himself died on a cross for us. And because he died and raised from the dead, new covenant established, a new work I will do, he says, where I will put my laws and my word on their hearts, not on tablets on a wall where we just go check, 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 X, 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 sacrifice. The new covenant says the word's on your heart, the spirit's on the inside of you. And you can live spirit-led, righteous, holy living because God's on the inside of you. The New Testament is the telling of people under the new covenant. So let me give you Mike's definition of the Bible. This is not scholarly, you can't quote it and get credit on a paper, okay? This is the best way I know how to explain it. The Bible's a collection of books divided into multiple sections. Ultimately, given from God, we're gonna talk about that in a second, to us, it is a gift to the world, it's a gift to the church, it's a gift to us from God, but why? To point us back to God ultimately to point us to Jesus and to teach us how to live for God as we are surrendered to Jesus and full of the Holy Spirit. The Bible, it's, it's God's gift of revelation to us to point us back to himself and to teach us how to live for God under the Lordship of Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Listen, our world is trying to teach us how to live full of our own spirit full of our own flesh, but the Bible says, no, 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 live by my spirit. Our world's trying to tell us how to believe and how to behave, but the Bible teaches us another way to believe and behave, because it's our authoritative rule for how we believe and how we behave. But, but I want you to see the Bible as a gift from God to you. You don't just have this as some proof text or weapon against people you disagree with. It's a gift to you to know God better and to live for God fully under the Lordship of Jesus and, and un, under the leading of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so what's the Bible? Now let's talk about the Bible is inspired by God. One of the great accusations of the Bible, it's just written by people. Men just wrote, I don't know why they all sound country to me. <laughs> like there was a weekend uh, whiteboard session with a bunch of old men at Martha's Vineyard. Let's come up with a religion and write a book about it. You know, like that's absurd. And frankly, it's a little offensive that people wanna minimize the gift of scripture. God revealed himself really in three ways in history. He's revealed himself through creation. Romans 1 says that we're without excuse to believe in the divine order of things. Second, he's revealed himself through giving Jesus to the world, like God in the flesh walked the earth with us. And third, God revealed himself through his word. It's inspired of God. Listen to me. We believe the Bible's authoritative for faith and practice, but it wasn't just written by a group of dudes one day on a weekend getaway. I mean, this, this accusation is crazy, but one of the ways we can believe the efficacy or the power of the Bible, what? Is its incredibly immense effect on its readers. How many of you can attest that as you spend time in God's word, he changes your life? One of the proofs that the word is inspired of God and powerful is how it wrecks our lives and changes us. If you wanna nerd out for just one more minute, the theological frame, phrase we use is verbal plenary inspiration. You'll never be quizzed on this at LifePoint, maybe in your small group, yeah, you'll get a golly geez gift card if you get this right. <laughs> verbal plenary inspiration is the academic term most evangelicals will use related to the inspiration of the Bible. Basically it means we teach that God himself inspired every word. So verbal re related to the actual words of scriptures, the thes and the he and the she and the who's, in, you know, every word of scripture, the plenary is all of it. Every word is inspired. And then you go, well, that seems very 
you know, daunting. Yeah, that's because God decided to inspire authors by his spirit to write specifically his word. That's why we go verse by verse and we'll knuckle in on certain nuances and things God says in his word. And it's like, man, did you notice that word in there? Did you notice that nuance? Because we believe God inspired all of it. That is, he inspired different authors to write these specific words. And, and in the inspiration, he allowed the personalities of the authors to come through. He didn't, he didn't just like glaze over, roll their eyes back and just give them this kind of, he didn't possess people, he inspired people. That's, listen, God is not a God who possesses you, but he'll inspire and empower and equip you to do things for his glory. Can I hear an amen? So, so we believe God didn't just put people in a trance and have them write this stuff without personality. That's why Paul's writings feel different than James's writings or Moses feels different than David because God allowed the personality nuances and the history of these individuals to come out in the Holy Spirit-inspired writing of every single word. Let me give you a text that shows this. 2 Timothy 3, 16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God. You gotta understand the apostle Paul is referencing all of the Old Testament and the gospels at this point. He's going, all of scripture is breathed out by God. Listen, I want you to understand, the Bible has the breath of God. Have you ever noticed when you smell somebody's breath, they're close. <laughs> when you read God's word, God is close. Listen to me. This is why we spend time in God's word because that's God coming near to us and us getting in the presence of God. All of scripture is breathed out by God. And look at what the text says. It's profitable. That means it's good for you. It's profitable for what? For teaching us, for reproofing, which is another word for rebuking us. Oh, Lord Jesus. How many of you hate those scriptures? But it's good. Look, rebuke is good for you. How many of you know what that means as a parent? Right? I'm doing this because it's good for you. I'm teaching you to be respectful because it's good for you. It's profitable for teaching us, for correcting us, for rebuking us, and for training us in righteousness. Some people say, well, just believe in Jesus and all the rest will just fall into place. Nope. Believe in Jesus and then follow his word. It's gonna train you in righteousness so that the man of God, the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The word of God, listen, it's breathed out by God and it's good for you. Even the hard stuff is good for you. He's with us when we read it because he's, his breath is on it. When, when we preach it, when we study it, when we live by it, it's profitable, even when it rubs you the wrong way. You know, sandpaper is good for wood. Even when it rubs you, it's good for you. It'll teach you what God wants for your life. I'm setting the standard here because as we get into the rest of this series, there will be moments where the word rubs you. And you have to decide if you believe it's profitable to teach you and to correct you. At 42, I'm reading stuff where it's like, man, I gotta make an adjustment in my life. I've been serving God, I'm a pastor for years, and I still read the word and it's still living and still breathing on me and still correcting me and if God will do that in the pastor, you better believe he's gonna do that in the sheep of this flock. But you have to decide that you believe the word is profitable for you in that way. God, thank you for your word. So the purpose and desire of God with his word is to help us, to train us in righteousness. It's not a rule book. Listen to me. The Bible is not a rule book. It's a guidebook on how to please God, on how to follow Jesus. Man of God, woman of God, his word will help you be a complete Christian. Notice I didn't say a perfect Christian. I said a complete Christian. Fully equipped for every good work. Why do you serve that way? Why do you give that way? Because the Bible said. Why do you forgive your neighbor who offended you? Because the Bible teaches me how. That's a complete person. You ain't perfect, you're complete. The Bible says it's still a great way to live. I know that our world doesn't like that. But we don't live according to the world's standards. We live according, Jesus quoted the Bible all the time. We should too. Amen, everybody? I'm not on a lot of social media, but I am on the Twitter sphere. If you want to go into some real yard fights, get on Twitter. But I'm trying to just drop some pastoral theological stuff. And yesterday I wrote, I said, saying the Bible says is still an acceptable means of justification for the life of a Christian. And our world may disagree with that, but we don't live by their standards, we live by God's. So the word of God, look, it's inspired, the Bible's inspired of God and God still speaks through it. 
So we've already established the Bible is breathed out by God, which means it's full of his power, his breath, his spirit. That God breathed out creation, he breathed out human life, and now he's breathed out his word. That's the three places where we see God breathing on stuff, creating the whole world. God spoke, boom, there it is, bang. God breathed into humans, Adam and Eve. God breathed his word. All of them are still flexing. All of them are still growing. All of them still have the activity of God in them, and the word is no different. So Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce between the division of your soul and spirit. It's a metaphor the writer of Hebrews is giving here. The Bible's like a sharp sword coming into your life. What does a sharp sword do? It cuts away the bad. It, it defends against evil. It also pierces into your life. And look what it says. The word of God will pierce into you like a sharp sword, dividing between your soul and spirit, your joints and marrow. And look at this, discerning the thoughts and intentions of your heart. How many of you know when you're wrestling with things at time and you're, you're dealing with your flesh or your impulses or your, your desire to behave a certain way and then you get into the word and it just slices right into that and it's like, no, 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 here's what I want. That's the activity of the living word. God's word has power. It's still speaking. It's why we preach it here. Listen, if we didn't believe the Bible's alive and, pre and, and active, I would just preach like the latest news headlines and how to feel good about yourself. But I refuse to do that. I'm not chasing the Hallmark calendar or CNN or Fox News headlines. We're gonna preach the Bible because we believe it's still alive. We believe it's still breathed out by God and it's still active and it changes lives. It builds you up. The word of God has power. It's still speaking all the time. Every time you read the word, I want you to expect God to speak to you. In fact, for years I would pray when I'd have my quiet time, my devotion time with the Lord. Lord, I'm open to hear whatever you wanna say to me. Many times we, we tell the Lord, God, I just want a word. I wish you would just speak to me. I wanna hear your audible voice. And I feel like God would go, I've been speaking for years. I said a lot right here. Some people want God to a clear, audible voice. We want to hear from heaven, and we refuse to do anything different unless God speaks. And I feel like God goes, I have said a lot. Do these people not read? I never, I, I'm, I can't say never. I rarely trust people who just walk around like God talks to them all the time, like he's on a cell phone with them. Man, the Lord was telling me today. The Lord said to me, man, I got a word from God today. I want to go, how much Bible do you know? Because I don't feel like God's at all obligated to be speaking to folk that ain't reading his word already. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, that may be too hard for some of y'all, but I don't really care. All right. I think every time you come into the Bible, you need to ask God, Lord, speak to me today. I'm open to hear from you. I want to hear what you have to say. Like, think of it like the Lord himself is breathing life into the reading of his word. It will reveal the heart of God. It'll correct you. It'll train you. It'll bring you peace, it'll sharpen you, it'll shapen you. That's not even a word, but you'll remember it. It'll sharpen you and it'll shapen you. Think of the Bible as an opportunity for the Lord to have a meeting with you and do all the talking. Stephanie likes to say this and I love it. She says, prayer is when we talk to God. Reading the word is when we let God speak to us. Now God will speak by his spirit, I'm not discounting that, but God will never speak by his spirit stuff that he's not already saying in his word. God ain't ever gonna tell you to leave your wife for that other lady. Oh, I heard the Lord speak. No, he didn't. That's the devil. God will speak about himself, his character, his nature, his plan for you. He'll direct you to Jesus. He'll show you righteousness. He'll show you his love for you. Think of the problem. I'm just gonna, hey, listen, just everybody look at me for a second. And I just want you to hear some of the things God says in his word. I'm just gonna quote some scripture, like a paragraph. This is all from the Bible. I'm not even giving the address. I just want you to hear it like a statement I'm just saying to you. God's word says for you, you are more than a conqueror because you believe in Jesus. You have authority every day over the devil. He has no, he can't harm you. No weapon formed against you will prosper. You're the apple of God's eye. He loves you even when you're unlovable. His blessings will overtake you and overcome you as you follow Jesus. The promises God has for you are yes and amen because you said yes to Jesus. God, hang on, I'm not done. God will supply every need you have according to his riches and glory, not your boss, not your job. There's no temptation that'll overcome you. That's not common to everybody. God will always give you a way of escape. Greater is the spirit of God on the inside of you than the spirit that's in this world. You matter to God. The word of God can be hidden in your heart and you will not sin against God when his words, you're a saint. You're the righteousness of God because of Jesus. He is a good father. You are forgiven. You are set free and we are free indeed from the power of sin and death, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. I could go on and on. That's the word of God, and it's alive. 
You see how you feel right now? You sense that? That's the life of God. That's the word of God breathed over you just now. It's active and inspired and alive. Why in the world do we spend all of our hours on Fox News, CNN, and Instagram when the word of God is the thing that brings life to us? Spend some time in the word. Let's commit to the word. Let's commit that God has the right to speak and challenge us and change us and shape us by his word. It'll always lift you up. It'll always bring you peace. It'll always make you better. His word's a lamp to your feet, a guide for your path. It speaks life, how to believe, and how to behave. Now, you may struggle with your own set of behaviors, and you come to a scripture that God says, and you want to tear that page out, put a little Sharpie mark on it. I remember as a young Christian, man, I'm, I'm a good cusser. Like, I was really good at it. Front to back, top to bottom, I would tear you in half with some words. I'm good with words, especially dirty words. Probably could have been a pro. I remember as a young Christian, I was reading through the Bible and I read in Ephesians where the Bible says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. I was so mad. And I would say, God knows my heart. And then I'd say, what's a cuss word anyway? That's a modern construct. It's a social thing. God didn't know the F word. Like it didn't happen in the Bible. And I was just giving God all these excuses. And then I would just read it again. Don't let any unwholesome talk out of your mouth and I had to decide does the Bible have authority or do I so then I'd take it to the Lord okay God you said I can't cuss no more and they'd be like well who can I cuss in front of just don't cuss at church you know like I, but it has the right to shape you and to change you I don't know what your impulses are your desires let the word deal with that that's why we say anybody's welcome here to let God wreck their lives and part of how we want to let God change your life is we're going to teach you how to read the Bible we're going to teach you how to pray prayer life. It might be the, the predispositions that you carry in your life that God is wanting you as you get in the word to just deal with. Greed, sexual immorality, anger and unforgiveness. Maybe you've got some unforgiveness towards someone who assaulted you or hurt you. And you're like, I can forgive anybody, but not that person. But then God's word says, if you can't forgive others, how does he forgive you? I mean, you see what I'm saying? Like you just, you got to wrestle with the word. It's, it's tough, but it's good. It's always profitable. So if you're gonna live out the word with faith and practice, you gotta get on a plan. So I wanna give you really quickly four practical steps. And I wanna encourage all of you to do this and then we're gonna pray. First of all, make an appointment with God. Make it, like literally, make it a calendar thing. The number one reason people tell me as pastor, why, don't, why they're not reading their Bible, they go, I don't have time. That's a lie, you have time. You just ain't making time. Check your screen time while you're sitting on your toilet. You have time. You sit there long enough for your legs to fall asleep. You had time to read two chapters in the book of John. <laughs> Too far? Anyway. You have time. You just don't make time. So make an appointment. Literally, I'm, I'm like an in-the-moment person. My wife's a calendar person. Put a calendar appointment. Tell your phone. Remind me at 9.15 every day to read my Bible for 30 minutes. Do so, put it on your calendar. Make an appointment like it's a dentist appointment, a doctor's appointment, an appointment with your boss, and keep the appointment. Find a spot, find a slot, find a place in a space. I don't care, get, to, get your little chair in the basement. I don't care, find a place, make an appointment and show up. And think of your time at the Bible as an appointment to meet with God and you're showing up to get orders from the Lord. You're showing up to hear from God. If you wanna pray and talk to God, do that next, but hear from God, get in the word. Second, get on a plan. So many people say, I don't know where to start. And if you're new to the Bible, I encourage you, don't start on the left. Start in the Gospels. If you're new to Scripture, start in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and keep going to the right. In fact, I always tell people, start in the Gospels, go right, and then do that again before you go to the left side. Because remember, the Old Testament is the story of God's people in an old set of rules. You don't even need that. The New Testament is the story of God's people in a new set of rules. So before you go make sense of all that, make sense of Jesus and the New Covenant. Do you all understand what I'm saying? But we got plans for you on this book right here, the, the prayer guide. They're digitized, they're online. They, like, there's no excuse not to find a Bible reading plan. It's out there. The easiest one you could do, just do the proverb of the day. Today's the 21st, so I'm gonna read proverb 21. And that's real easy. You can always do something. Get on some kind of plan. Third, begin to pray God's word. This is how you move it from the page into your heart and into your life. Begin to pray it. God, you said, this is how I like to pray the word of God. I tell God like he forgot. Lord, you said in your word. If I ask anything in your name, you'll do it for me. God, you said in your word, not no unwholesome talk. So that means you gotta help me with this unwholesome talk. 
God, you said in your word, I'm more than a conqueror. The devil can't mess with me. Get your hands off me, devil. You can't come near my house because the Bible says, pray the word of God. I remember as a, a new Christian, you know, I, I started smoking when I was nine, 10 years old. As a kid, it was all in my family. Everybody smoked in my house. And then I got saved when I was 17. So I quit smoking and started dipping because I didn't want to smell like cigarettes going to church. Twice as gross, way more addictive. You know, tobacco addiction is like one of the strongest addictions there are. <clears throat> like people go to Alcoholics Anonymous and kick alcohol and still smoke at the meeting. You know what I'm saying? Like it's really hard to cut, cut that out. And I just remember I felt uh, this overwhelming sense, like I gotta get rid of this. And I don't know how, I'd fought it for years. I'd been doing it for like eight years and I couldn't get rid of this tobacco addiction. So one night I'm reading my Bible in bed with a dip in my mouth, cherry skull, don't judge me. And I'm reading this Bible, spitting in my cup and I'm reading and, and I read in the gospel where Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it for you. And I'll never forget, I was sitting there, I was like, I didn't have like a concordance of the original Greek text and what did Jesus mean? I just read it. And so I spit that dip out, I threw the can of skull away and I prayed, God, you said, if I ask anything in your name, you'll do it for me. So I'm asking in Jesus' name that you would deliver me from tobacco addiction and help me overcome temptations. I never touched it again. God delivered me that night because I just prayed his word. I had like this stupid, when I was 24, I thought I'm gonna try to chew again. And some of y'all have heard that story and God said, no, 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 stupid. So anyway, pray the word, pray the word and then practice the word. We always say, read your Bible and do what it says. Okay, let me give you a caveat. Read your Bible correctly. Some of y'all be like, I'm read David and Goliath this morning and I'm going to work and I'm killing my boss. Brought a slingshot, I'm just doing what the Bible says. Cut his head off in the parking lot. No, 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 no. Read your Bible correctly and do what it says. You gotta live the word of God as he's taught you his word. God, give like God's word, forgive like his word, worship like God's word, do your family like God's word, walk in the fruit of the spirit like God's word. Trust that God's word is teaching and training us to live righteous and that it's good for us. Can I hear an amen from somebody today? Everybody, let's pray over this. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that the word of God would be alive and active in us, that Lord, we would be so committed to a life led by the spirit, led by the word, directed by Jesus. God, ultimately, we wanna give our whole lives to Jesus Christ and we believe that you've given this whole word to us to teach us how to live for you. We don't worship the Bible, but we live by the word, we trust the word, we affirm the scripture in its place in our lives as we follow Jesus. So God, we pray in Jesus' name that you'd help us, help us to walk according to your scripture, help us to walk according to your word as the authority for how we believe and how we behave. God, may we honor the scripture in our lives. Would we give time and space and place to read the word, to know the word, to memorize it, to live by your word. I believe that a church on fire for Jesus is a church passionately on fire for the word of God. That's a church that'll make a difference forever and change the world. Would you help us in Jesus' name? Everybody just open your hands and pray this with me and we'll hand off to our campus pastors after this. Come on, say, God, I believe the word of God. I believe what I've heard today and I trust your word, its authority in my life. I submit to Jesus as the Lord of my life. I believe he died for me and raised from the dead so that I can live forever. And I say, I trust his word. I trust the scripture. I wanna learn it and live by it in Jesus' name. Say thank you for my salvation. Thank you for the word of God alive in me in Jesus' name. Come on, let's celebrate together, everybody. Amen.